Kylie Jenner's Normie Pregnancy Announcement, two musicians' divisive album covers, and the dystopian show The Activist. We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We would like to celebrate their rich history of culture and storytelling that we can learn from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Last week we had our interview with the amazing Kaf Ebbs, so we didn't do our normal one-on-one chat and I feel like we've missed out on so much new, like so much celebrity news has happened. We really had to kind of curate today's episode, <laughs> like what's the most important? I know, so much happened. Um, I feel like so many babies were also popped out in this two-week period for some reason. Don't know what's in the water nine months ago, but <laughs> Lockdowns. here we are. Oh God, yes, very true. And Zoe Suggs, little baby Ottilie as well. Okay, thoughts about the name, such a controversial name. I think it's cute, but it's very posh. I love like Alfie Days being like, I'm not a Tory, but the name Ottilie is giving me Tory vibes. Sorry, like it's very pretty, but especially when you say it with the accent, it's like Ottilie. Ottilie. Very posh. (laughs) Very much so. And like nickname Ottie or Mm. Otta in my head um, is quite funny. I also think Ottilie just sounds like a really bougie salad. Exactly. You know, like an Ottolini Ottilie <laughs> salad. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I think Ottie is cute for a nickname though. Me too. I yeah. do think so. But um friend of the pod, Kitch, um, one of our friends was like, that baby's gonna be bullied. Like that kid is gonna be bullied growing up. And I'm like, they're probably gonna have so much money they will not. Yeah. <laughs> They'll just pay away the bullies, you know what I mean? I wouldn't care if I was their child. I want to be their child so bad. Did you see their baby room? Yes. So sweet. Yeah. Their whole life. I'm like, oh my God. Why wasn't I on YouTube like 15 years ago? Damn it. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, But yeah, she's not the only famous person who's had a baby. Of course, Kylie Jenner officially announced her pregnancy this week with her second child um, with Travis Scott. And that was through Instagram IGTV. It's a bit different this time round um, because she has announced it before she had the baby. As we all rem- remember with Stormy, it was very publicized that she kept it secret for so long. Um, did you see the TikTok about the woman who figured it out through Kylie's nails? It's incredible. It's incredible. Yes, yeah, such a good detective. And um so publications I remember were like announcing it a few weeks ago and then Mm -hmm. because like an unconfirmed source or something but then it was official this week the 90 second video has a very sentimental piano music score setting the tone for the tear-jerking vid I thought it was very sweet very classy um it's just like a really nice glimpse into their life Oh, yeah. So for those who haven't seen it, we're taken to doctor appointments. Um, we get to see the reveal to Kris Jenner and we see the baby's like the bumps growth and even like this intimate, intimate gathering with friends. So I'm guessing that's like a baby shower of some kind. Or I think it was her birth, Kylie's birthday oh, as well. Sweet. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, very sweet, very home video vibes. 
exactly right. It was very much home video vibes. It was so sweet. Um, again, like, as you know, I don't follow the Kardashians and Jenners that much, but this really pulled up my heartstrings. <laughs> so sweet. And an interesting BuzzFeed article headline read, Kylie Jenner's pregnancy announcement marks a new era for the Kardashians attempting to control their narrative without keeping up with the Kardashian series. What do you think about that? I have so many questions, okay, because this video makes them seem so down to earth, right? It's a very lovable and endearing video. It really humanizes their family. But I'm just thinking, like sitting here being like, uh, like Kylie didn't edit this herself, did she? Like, is she on iMovie? <laughs> like playing around, go to YouTube, um, like copyright free royalty music. Like, no, this no. is still an engineered, um, I guess, depiction mm. of their life. Yes, like very highly curated and definitely showing what they want to show. Yeah, I bet that her like assistant made it for her or something. Or they probably had a full production company. Like, can you imagine the amount of people who had to be involved for Stormy's pregnancy in terms of like keeping it all secret and all the NDA signs? So, yeah, similar energy, but um, I thought it was sweet. And the internet has been ablaze this week with chatter around another celebrity pregnancy. This one has been oh much God. more controversial. <laughs> Everyone's fave comedian John Mulaney announced his partner, Olivia Munn, who's an actress, is pregnant with their child. So usually this is great news, right? Well, not everyone is happy as John divorced from his ex-wife, artist Anna Marie Tenler, went to rehab twice and began a new relationship all within a year, which again, of course, is his own business, their own business, but People are feeling particularly miffed about this news because John's comedy regularly referenced his married life. He spoke about his wife often. Um, he was seen as one of like the good guys in the way we talk about straight cis men in terms of like he's one of the good ones. But they also referenced the fact that they didn't want kids. Mm, it's been really interesting seeing this unfold because um, I think this is a pretty good example of what we talked about a couple of episodes ago about the norm core boyfriend, or in this case, a norm core girlfriend, because Anna Marie Tenla, you know, she, she was a normie. Of course, she's established herself in her own right um, as like this um, incredible artist. And she's done work in like the makeup field, fashion field, um, and also like photography stuff as well. So it's been interesting seeing this play out because they were kind of heralded as this like ideal couple, as mm. you were saying, right? It's like such a Hollywood romantic happily ever after moment. So keeping that all in mind, we also saw Anna, you know, release this very open and vulnerable statement about John leaving her. And then, you know, she also posted a series of really intense and emotional photography self-portraits of herself as well, which just added salt to the wound, honestly. And it made people feel really quite defensive. Yeah. Now, Usually I feel quite indifferent towards celebrities. Like obviously I like certain ones and I buy certain celebrities merch or music or whatever it is because I don't think they owe us anything. And I can't imagine struggling with divorce and addiction issues and rehab in general, let alone um, in front of the whole world. But I am on team Anna with this one. 
because I saw this TikTok from user Celebrity Memoir Book Club who read out an extract from Olivia Munn's 2010 book, Suck It Up, Wonder Woman, The Misadventures of a Hollywood Geek. Um, We'll play a bit in here. Content warning for fat phobia, especially. Let's do a part two on all the meanest things that Olivia Munn says about people, specifically women in her book, Suck It, Wonder Woman. Before we go back to the specific woman hatred, let's just do a general one, trigger warning, fat phobia. So in her book, she says if she ran for president, these are the 10 things she would run on. Here's number two. I will fix America's obesity problems by taking all the motorized transport away from fat people. In turn, I will build an infrastructure of fat tunnels where all the fat people can walk. This will create jobs and subsequent weight loss. Which is a bit ironic because then a point five of her presidential campaign would be that pie would be in its own category placed at the top of the food pyramid. And number nine is forget what I said about pie as a category. Pie should actually be our new monetary unit. People will now haggle by saying that's not worth five meringues, that's two peach cobblers at most. So a bit confusing, Olivia. Do you want people to be healthy and skinny, or do you want them to only eat pie? I guess it's really funny to like pie when your body looks like this, but if she thinks you're fat, you don't get a car. That is so gross. Like, I actually don't know much about Olivia Munn at all, but that's not a great first impression. I do have a question for you, though. Um, If you liked his new partner, if you liked John Mulaney's new partner, would you feel the same way and be all Team Anna? I think I would be indifferent. Um, I'd be like, oh, that's a sad situation and I would feel for Anna, but I don't know. It was written 10 years ago and it was probably ghostwritten, but even 10 years ago, Olivia Munn was like 30. Like she's, I think she's like nearly 40 now. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think that's a big reason why if he had just shacked up with like a normie, maybe there wouldn't be so much press around it. But because it's like another actress, it's Olivia Munn, she's already known, has a certain reputation in Hollywood, you know. Yeah. I also think it's to do with um, the very human emotion of hating betrayal, hating infidelity. Um, lol, I feel like I don't know much about this field and that's also um, – I guess a good thing because I just don't know too many couples that have been divorced or experienced cheating and whatnot. But I do feel like people just, I don't know how to describe it. Like I feel like that is why people are so angry as well because he's ruined that kind of Hollywood um, perfect couple narrative and people feel betrayed by that even though it's not their relationship but because it's done in this um, quite cruel way I think that's what has people really fired up as well exactly such a good way to put it it kind of changes our um, perspective and it just shows that like one everything is marketing John Mulaney has created his persona himself um, but a lot of the also criticism was like um, saying they're more worried about John in terms of like if you go to rehab twice and you're struggling with addiction issues to make like three massive life, two massive life choices within such a short amount of time, apparently is you're not meant to do that. But I don't know mm. enough about addiction and rehab and stuff to kind of have much of an opinion on it. But yeah, that was a lot of the internet speak as well. So it's been interesting to see it play out, but it does make me wonder why we do feel that ownership over the celebrity relationships. Like what you said it's like that kind of we build up a persona in our head. A good example is Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde, mm. of course, with Olivia divorcing Jason Sudeikis and then getting with Harry quite quickly. 
there's I feel like that's dying down a little bit now on the internet, but people are still a bit like, why is Harry dating her? Like she's a homewrecker, blah, 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 blah. So if you don't know mm. what's going on in celebrities' lives, like just because they have public lives, we don't know. Yeah, I also think with that Olivia and Harry situation, right, like take that into let's pretend they're like buddies, Olivia and Harry, they're not famous people. But that would still be the talk of the town if someone's divorced their partner and then has quickly gone with someone else. We would be talking about that regardless of whether they're famous or not. That's true. Uh, Yeah, if a guy from high school was like in rehab and then (laughs) like left their partner and then I don't, you wouldn't be like, making moral judgment but it would be like well that's a crazy story you know mm, exactly like be like yeah. wow what an intense situation which i don't know maybe the internet's doing that oh i actually love that distinction i feel like potentially we will just discuss this as just oh this is a passing of events this is what happened but i feel like in cases like this where these celebrity cu- couples we feel more inclined to pass judgment and i feel like that's mm. the difference here mm. Yes, because they are kind of untouchable. They'll never listen to a podcast with two girls from Australia make so we can discuss it and it's not considered gossiping or bitching or whatever. It's like just it's like it doesn't affect them. Yeah. Oh, this is getting so much deeper. If you didn't know, this is supposed to be our little chit chat topic oh, yes. and it's turning into our full blown topic, but we love that. That's why we do make this podcast, because we love getting deep on supposed you know exterior stories so how good two major musicians have caused a stir this week receiving backlash for using pregnancy to promote their albums so first up you probably saw this on like just about everybody's instagram stories but drake revealed his artwork for his forthcoming album certified lover boy which features 12 emojis of pregnant women in varying skin tones and shirt colors just hours later little nas x spoofed drake's album announcing his forthcoming album montero This photo featured 12 male emojis who were pregnant, but then he went even further, posting pregnancy photo shoots on Instagram. There was the carousel of a professional shoot of him kneeling by a pool in a white robe and flower crown, looking pensive with an ultrasound scan too. It was definitely giving me Beyonce announcing the twins' pregnancy vibes. Yeah, what um, else I found interesting was that this wasn't the first time that Lil Nas X has kind of parodied Drake. So according to CNN, um, in 2019, he joked that he would be naming his debut album Nothing Was The Same, which was the title of Drake's 2013 album. He then unveiled his take on Drake's album cover, tweeting an almost identical image featuring his side profile against a cloud-filled blue background you probably Mm. you know the other one yeah i love how i just like turn my side profile anyway um so you're saying that little nas x is a drake fan it seems that no is is it a fan thing or is it or is it commenting on rivalry thing yeah rivalry or is it commenting on the rap game or the yeah okay interesting take More pics of little Nas X and his bump were posted too, joking about his baby shower and due date, which was interesting. 
You mentioned before that the um, photo shoot, especially of that super professional one by the pool, um, was really reminiscent of Beyonce and a lot of celebrity um, pregnancy announcements. And you know what? Like, you know, we I am a Lil Nas X fan and I'm just so tired of comedy that's like this. We're about to dive deep into some of like the problematic issues with fake pregnancies and whatnot. But even just at the call, kind of mocking um, typically women's milestones and how they post that and celebrate that on Instagram feels so done. It reminds me of like Bo Burnham's. Um, A white woman's Instagram? Yeah, it reminds me of Bo Burnham's song, A White Woman's Instagram. And to be honest, I have mixed opinions about Bo Burnham, but I did enjoy his um, Netflix special. But that White Woman's Instagram song, I hated. I was like, this is so done. This is quite reductive. It's lazy. I get, I like the TikTok trends that came afterwards, but I was like, oh, like, are we, are we, like, we're, we're past this, surely? So this just feels similar. Oh, okay. Like past making fun of women just for like, doing things and I also feel like a lot of time Instagram in the same way that we spoke about a few episodes ago that men kind of work out or post certain pictures in the gym they do it for other men it's for the male gaze whereas I feel Mm. like with Instagram a lot of the stuff I post I post for the female gaze and I post for my girlfriends Mm. um yeah, so are they making fun of, like, Instagram trends or, f- like, pregnancy photo shoots because those things are traditionally done for the female gaze? They're not done for the male gaze. Yeah, and it's, like, mm. this is sometimes, like, a very sacred thing among women and there's no need to, po- like, poke fun at it. I don't know. It's just because, yeah, it's not for you, like, as a cis man or whatever doesn't mean that other people aren't getting enjoyment out of it and it's you know it's it's a really special moment for some people I don't know I just think it's mm. it's lazy interesting yeah um but he was also using this fake pregnancy announcement for good too he held a baby registry to raise money for numerous LGBTQ plus nonprofit organizations and other social causes how did you feel when you initially saw the pictures? First, I was like, damn, that's really good Photoshop. Or like, what's happening here? Is this a makeup artist? Um, but no, um, kind of taken aback because I am usually quite, a f- I'm like a massive fan, sorry, of how Lil Nas X navigates social media. I think he's so smart and so funny. But this, I was like, oh, like this is kind of strange. It's got that shock value kind of, but I didn't find it funny. I was just like, confused that was probably my main reaction what about you I felt similar in terms of like being like what's he doing now between like the devil marketing the blood shoe Nike uh advertising and this it's like lots of I love Lil Nas X but like why does he feel that there needs to be some sort of gimmick to his Mm. releases when he could just release a good album Oh, very good point. But I didn't think of the pregnancy thing that deeply, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I started seeing other commentary, commentary that I was like, oh, maybe that is a bit insensitive, especially given the news um, last week that Texas is now banning abortion after six weeks. 
So both Drake and Lil Nas X's albums had people quite divided. So some people, I would actually say most of the commentary I saw were just enjoying the humorous aspect of it, while others condemned the insensitivity of fake pregnancy shoots and um, also the potential transphobic undertones. Shoyla Baylor, an American transgender advocate and swimmer, said on Instagram, For the people saying, but Little Nas X is queer. Being queer doesn't make you immune to being transphobic. Some cis queer people are transphobic as hell. Now, I don't think Little Nas X is intentionally transphobic, but we live in a transphobic world, so this intent did not land. He continued, Little Nas X shock factor here only works because people don't think men can get pregnant. But trans men can and do all the time. That is, the joke slash sensationalism only works at the expense of trans masculine people. Yeah, on TikTok especially, we saw people talking about how we shouldn't use pregnancy as a prop or a gimmick, which I agree with. You know, there's lots of talk on April Fool's Day about not using, not doing those fake pregnancy announcements. And I think with the internet, we're all much more online, so we see things that may make us more upset, Mm. if that makes sense. So we shouldn't really be using this as a gimmick when so many people with uteruses don't have autonomy over their own bodies. But I don't know. Part of me is like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, little Nas X is doing another crazy gimmick or like he's doing another shock value thing. And maybe it's because I haven't experienced pregnancy loss or I haven't, you know, dealt with um, infertility that I didn't take much notice of it but yeah in that in that defense a lot of the arguments were coming from TikTok and one of the criticisms of TikTok is that people are chronically online which means that like everything is so like much more intense right. and like mm. if you're chronically online it means you're always on the internet their entire existence revolves around being on the internet um you're always debating people and getting upset about certain things not negating trans people's criticism of this at all but sometimes between drake and little nas x i was like is this an issue where there is an issue Mm. would if the internet wasn't as massive would we be sweeping past this Good point. Oh, I had not actually heard of that phrase chronically online before. I'm like, lol, that's me. Um, but, <laughs> but I find that very interesting because I think it can dangerously like lend itself into the territory of like, oh, people are snowflakes, you know, all these mm. Gen Zs are, um, like overreacting about everything these days, etc. But I think there is a good point of sometimes being, um, distracted by non-issues. I'm not saying that this, but I do think sometimes we focus our attention on smaller, potentially more digestible issues that are easier to wrap our heads around, like this small kind of like artist tiff almost or whatever it might be, rather than mm. this massive systemic issue of like transphobia or whatever it might be, or like even infertility. Mm. Yeah. Or abortion mm. rights or whatever. Yeah. In saying that, I just really dislike the way Drake talks about yeah, women on his own. I don't like and stuff. Drake. And I saw some conversations about they can't really compare these two because Drake is has so much like history and like reputation as being a womanizer and like talking about baby mamas and all this stuff. 
versus little Nas X who has done so much for the queer community. Um, so yeah, I just think we're part, like what you said, we're past using pregnancy as like a shock Mm. value thing. Like, especially in a time when a girl who is raped can not be able to abort the Mm. child, um, the baby, the fetus, whatever you want to call it in a first world country. Like, do we really need to be using this? Why can't he just release an album? Exactly. You guys know that we were going to talk about this. This week, it was announced that American production company CBS has commissioned the most dystopian Hunger Games-esque show to ever be conceived. Titled The Activist, Usher, Priyanka Chopra Jones and Dancing with the Stars alumni Julianne Huff will be paired with six young activists to help different causes around education, health and the environment. Yes, and they won't just be sitting around campaigning for grassroots causes, though, because this is a dystopian hellscape. It will be set to a game show format that's similar to The Apprentice or The Voice. So activists will compete with one another with winners and losers being chosen each week based on, quote, (laughs) online engagement, social impacts, and the host's input. Yeah, in the end, they will be tasked with speaking to world leaders at the G20 Summit in Italy. The G20 Summit being the annual forum bringing together the world's largest economies. According to their website, the G20 Summit accounts for more than 80% of the world GDP, which is gross domestic product, 75% of global trade and 60% of the world's population. The activist with the most backing at the end of the competition is crowned the winner. You are the best (laughs) activist in the world. Congratulations. (laughs) Obviously, money will be raised for whatever cause they are, you know, working towards. According to the CEO of Live Nation Entertainment, the show is a, quote, unprecedented example of how entertainment can change the world. I love that. That's like a CEO of an entertainment industry that makes money off this and they're like yeah like totally this is gonna change the world give us your money (laughs) i love this quote from douglas greenwood for id magazine that said it feels like the natural conclusion of our capitalist hellscape existence that a show about activism would be helmed by the singer of yeah whose wikipedia page describes him inanely as a supporter of feminism and a fan of art a model and actor who was accused of encouraging nuclear war with Pakistan. The 37-year-old responded, war is not something that I'm really fond of, but I'm patriotic. Adding, but I think that all of us have a sort of middle ground that we all have to walk. And a personality, Julianne, who famously donned blackface one Halloween. I mean, they've really picked the cream of the crop here. I definitely think of, they're the first people I think of when I hear the word activism. Usher and activism are basically synonyms in my mind. So, oh yeah, makes sense. <laughs> the internet has very fairly been on fire around this. It almost feels like Twitter fodder, like it was made to be tweeted about. You know what I mean? <laughs> A few highlights include... In order to prevent global warming, you must first seek counsel from wise R&B singer Usher on how to create a killer TikTok that will garner enough 
online engagement to knock out your chief rival, that bitch who wants to eradicate malaria. I literally had to cover my mouth then to stop from laughing so you wouldn't get distracted. Oh my God. (laughs) That's so funny. Another said, sorry, Charlie, your posts didn't get enough likes. We're tearing down your orphanage. And your plan to defund the police did not receive enough TikTok likes on your video explaining why. Please pack your things and leave Activist Island. Peak comedy, to be honest. Like, I'm so kind of, like, eye-rolling at this, but it has delivered some very good internet, like, content. Oh, my God. I know, right? I told you. Made for the Twitter sphere. So, yes, this made for very funny Twitter commentary, but, um, you know, you might be thinking all of this backlash is a bit harsh, you know, all we have seen is a press release so far, but this thread came out from 22-year-old climate activist Clover Hogan, which is very revealing about the show's um, mission and their purpose. Yes, and we have to read this whole thing for context. So, Clover says... Earlier this year, I was approached to appear on this show, The Activist. I was contacted by someone, quote, looking for passionate activists who are actively engaged in making an impact in the areas of environment, health, education, and reducing world hunger, end quote. I took a call with them. They continue. They spoke about bringing activists together to solve global challenges, yet every question I asked received an evasive answer. What's the purpose? How are they finding activists? Is it about collaboration? How are they platforming folks who have been historically excluded? I wish I'd taken the evasiveness for the giant red flag it was, but this person kept emphasizing what a brilliant opportunity it would be to put eco-anxiety on the agenda and said my cues would be answered on another call. So I agreed to an interview with a producer from the show. Clover continues... The, quote, interview was the worst I've ever experienced. When asked about my background, I mentioned growing up in nature, feeling heartbroken when I discovered documentaries, choosing to become an environmentalist at 11, moving to Indonesia, working with grassroots communities. Afterward, this dude looked irritated. He said I sounded like a robot talking from a script. He asked me to do it over, this time with more emotion, and gave me pointers of, quote, what the producers want to see. We repeated this several times until I burst into tears. Perfect. I'd done what he wanted, apparently. I felt humiliated. The only explanation I have for not hanging up then and there is gaslighting. I kept thinking, perhaps I'm just being dramatic. This is showbiz, right? He's just trying to help me communicate better. I chose to be here. Clover continues, after the tears, he asked me about our work at Force of Nature. I lit up at the chance to talk about our research programs for youth, the urgency of the mental health crisis. He cut me off toward the end. It was too complicated. I needed to, quote, talk like an American. At the end, he revealed that this would be a competition show with activists going against each other for resources. I remember thinking I was in a Black Mirror episode. When the call ended, I cried and called my mum. The whole time, I was made to feel as if I was failing a test. The weeks following, I tried to block the experience from my mind, only to receive an email that I'd been successful, yay me, with an invitation to meet the whole production team. I politely declined, and declined again when told to reconsider as, quote, this is such a huge opportunity, end quote. I won't relate what has already been said so eloquently by other folks, 
What I will add from behind the scenes experience is that they were not interested in the issues at all. They only wanted a story and a story manufactured for Hollywood. Are we even surprised? Definitely not, but it was nice to hear. And that's why we had to read the whole thing Mm. out because it's so important, I think, to hear from people who are involved in this, you know, in being approached. And it proves that they're approaching real activists. Like we'll link Clover's Instagram in um, our bio show notes, but, you know, they are legit. They're doing Mm. amazing work, grassroots work. Um, These aren't performative activists, but they're turning it into, as in they being the production company, are turning it into performative activism. Yeah, I saw another quote that was like, you can't commodify activism. Simple as that, right? And I think that just kind of summarises it. It's almost an oxymoron that you can't try to put these two things together that are at ends with each other. I love that Clover's asking, you know, is this collaborative? But no, they're fighting for resources. Can't we tell that that's not working in the real world? Like why Why should that, um, why should this reality TV show um, reflect this broken world? you know so true for them to be like you'll be fighting it out for like resources when all of the activists on there are trying to create a better world but these production companies are kind of like dangling like a carrot in front of them being like you want this <laughs> you want this you better like like capitalism like work your work to your bones or whatever um when really the money that they're probably p- paying usher in itself you know, for that fee could help so many hundreds or thousands and millions of people, but they're choosing not to do that, which kind of gets to the question of why these people? It's not like this show is being hosted by well-known activists like Greta Thunberg or AJ Barber, who we reference a lot on the show. These are like legit celebrities. Like, yes, they're talented in their own right. Yes, they're skilled in their own right, but, you know, Priyanka especially has been called out for her lack of activism in the past. Why did they choose her? In a 2019 interview, Priyanka actually said she considers herself, quote, apolitical as much as I can be. I prefer to be a humanitarian, which in itself is an oxymoron. How can you be a humanitarian and be apolitical when the definition of humanitarian is, quote, concerned or seeking to promote human welfare? What creates the welfare or the lack of welfare in countries? Politics. It's an oxymoron. Oh, my God. Exactly, hey? Yeah, to summarize this, I feel like there's this great quote by Awa Madawi for The Guardian. They say, like feminism, activism has been consumed by the corporate world. It's been given a glossy sheen, had its revolutionary edges removed. Corporate feminism undermines structural change by focusing on individual empowerment. Social justice capitalism or woke washing is similar. Awa says, it peddles a convenient lie that you can change the world without fundamentally changing your habits. It divorces individual causes from the exploitative structures underlying them. It pretends you can be a humanitarian while being apolitical. You know what this reminds me of after reading that? I feel like we're going to see Girl Boss 2.0 come soon. Oh my god. Well oh what god. what what happens in Girl Boss 2.0? They're more concerned I with th- social issues rather than capital. 
I think so. And I think they kind of merge together. I like what Awa was saying about how it is focused on individual benefit, not collective and community change. And I think activism can kind of be a wolf's inner sheep clothes or whatever the saying is. I butchered that on Instagram, whether that's like a brand or a person or even like an informative page. We see a lot of people, you know, jumping on causes and jumping on, um, good, good things, right? Maybe potentially by spreading information and trying to spread awareness or raise awareness for certain societal, um, topics. But we know that being woke gets you clout and street cred on the internet, which also leads to literal like monetary gains. It is, a financially viable option for people to appear woke, which is what girl bossing is, right? It's, it's like pretending to be, or not specifically pretending, but kind of jumping on the back of feminism or white feminism in particular to build up your own brand and therefore like gain, get more money. I think I'm oversimplifying it way too much, but this is literally off the cuff. Like, <laughs> no, that is. I'm kind of ranting. That's a very good observation and I think this show proves that in that in the same way feminism was marketed and sold about 10 years ago maybe yeah five to ten years ago we're gonna see the exact same with activism and it will become another in another five years we'll have a reckoning in the same way we had the girl boss reckoning of last year and then there'll be something else (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to come quicker this time. I think mm. a lot of people are picking up on this and, mm. and that's why this show is copying so much backlash as well because we're tired of this. Like, you can't. Like, it's simply as if this is real. I still don't believe it. <laughs> Ooh, we've skipped the week of recommendations. So I think we've got double the recommendations for you this week. Jazz, why don't you kick us off? Yes, we just have to share everything we consume. So we've got Double Trouble. I'm recommending two podcasts this week. The first one is Panic Years by After Work Drinks. I saw a few people recommending this, posting about it, and I wasn't sure because I didn't know if it would exacerbate my anxiety around this stuff, but I thought I would give it a go. So in this episode of After Work Drinks, which we are huge fans of, Writers Grace O'Neill and Isabel Truman interview British writer Nell Frizzell. Nell is the author of the nonfiction book The Panic Years, a term that Nell defines as the period of your late 20s into your 30s when suddenly it seems as if everyone is thinking about babies, houses, and marriage. Nell shares her thoughts on these topics and how women have conditioned to be constantly thinking about like fertility and life goals and how babies would interrupt that, um, always thinking like five to 10 years ahead in terms of like ambitions and relationships. And I did find it very comforting to hear a lot of the things I had been internally kind of like mulling over and thinking about, and I thinking that they were due to my anxiety, but they're actually very common things to have, especially if you're kind of like a career focused woman in today's society. Um, have you listened to this before? Oh, yes. 
It's honestly such a stellar podcast episode and it's really been ingrained into my brain. I keep thinking about it every couple of days. And I think if people are maybe put off um, listening to it because the topics of potential like fertility and stuff uh, are kind of not exactly boring, but maybe you're not up to that life stage like like I wasn't. And, you know, I hear these conversations a lot and I was like, oh, it's going to be a little bit repetitive it really wasn't. I feel like Nell brought so many new like truth bombs and made me feel like I, I, I'm rethinking a lot, let's just say. Yeah, definitely. I'd recommend it to everyone. I was like sending it to my friends, obviously recommended it on Instagram. And I even sent it to my boyfriend and I was like, this Good. explains why I think the way I do, because I definitely think like not being like, I want to have babies, anything like that. But it's terms of like, okay, what are we doing this year? What am I doing this year? Because how will that impact me when I'm 30 or when I want to have kids or what am I doing in my career now? And how will, yeah, how will my life play out kind of thing, which cisgendered men don't think about. And it's referenced in the, um, in the podcast about like, what do they talk about? Because apparently (laughs) they get to like their thirties and they're finally like, Oh, I guess I can have a kid after they've squeezed out all the life they can out of their twenties. Whereas like, I'm only halfway through mine and I know me and some of my friends are already thinking about these things. So yeah, anyway, I would recommend it 100%. My second podcast recommendation is one called The Trap. It is a quote harm prevention podcast that was created by the Dugdale Trust for Women and Girls and also the Victorian Women's Trust. It's hosted by Jess Hill and delves into a really heavy topic, but one that I think needs to be spoken about, especially in Australia. We seem to have some sort of like blinkers on with it, but that is domestic violence. The podcast looks at the abuse that happens both in private and public and asks why it still happens, why people become abusive in the first place, and what needs to be done to help prevent it. The Victorian Women's Trust is a local gender equality agency that's advocating for the rights of women, girls, and gender diverse people. So even if you don't listen to the podcast, like I understand that's a very heavy topic, not something maybe in lockdown you can handle, but just learning what the Victorian Women's Trust does for people is incredible and we should be supporting that. So just want to say Thank you to them for making such a sensitive podcast about a very serious topic. So I had two podcast recommendations. What are you recommending this week? I've also got a podcast, but I've also got a movie as well. So I'll get started with a podcast because it kind of jumps off the back of your one. Um, It is the new podcast from 7am, which is called Everybody Knows. It's a five-part podcast series hosted by Ruby Jones, who is a journalist and also host of the 7am podcast. They are from Schwartz Media, uh, who do the Saturday paper. So this one explores the rise and fall of the Me Too movement in Australia, specifically in regards to the music industry, um, outlining, you know, serious allegations of harassment, abuse and assault. So yeah, heavy stuff obviously. And it was a podcast that I had heard quite a bit about, but it wasn't something I wanted to listen to. I don't think anyone really wants to listen to these topics, Mm. but it is a really compelling and important lesson. 
So at the time of recording, three of the episodes have dropped and I have listened to all of them. I like binge the first two. It is a really well-produced um, podcast, so it makes you want to listen. Uh, interviewees include human rights lawyer Jen Robinson, who acted for Amber Heard and Rose McGowan. Ruby also interviewed the barrister who represented Jeffrey Rush, as well as journalists who broke Australia's first Me Too stories and other survivors too. So I would really recommend this if you are mentally up for it. It isn't really just focused on sexual harassment, but more about like toxic workplace culture and misogyny and also Australia's failing defamation laws. So it's really interesting, especially those in the media industry um, or who are interested in it. Yeah, loved it. I am a huge fan of 7am and um, the culture, which is their mm. pop culture podcast. So I would definitely, it's definitely on my list. And I also think it's interesting because Australia didn't have as much of a me to reckoning as America did. Um, and I kind of sometimes wonder why that is because there's definitely stories. There's been a couple, Jeffrey Rush, of course, sticks out in your mind a bit and that's basically it. <laughs> but compared <laughs> to America, we didn't have as much of like a cultural change. So very keen <sighs> to hear that. This is a podcast you'll really enjoy. She gets right into the nitty and gritty of that. And you'll be so shocked to learn that Australia's Me Too movement basically lasted five days. Yeah, that's what it felt like. I knew I wasn't going mad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do have a lighthearted recommendation to take us to the finish line. And I watched this last night. It is a movie called The King of Staten Island. It was released last year, 2020, and it is a semi-biographical drama comedy starring Pete Davidson. And it is also directed by Judd Apatow, who I love. Mm, Classic. And you love Pete Davidson, so I feel like this is a great mix. <laughs> uh, so the movie follows 24-year-old protagonist Scott, who you know lives at home, is lacking ambition, he's very lost, and he basically just smokes a lot of weed. Um, he has ADD and Crohn's disease and is an amateur tattoo artist who dreams of opening um, his like tattoo parlor slash restaurant two-in-one deal thing. We find out that he is obviously not over his father's death. So when he was seven years old, his dad died as a firefighter. Um, Those who know Pete Davidson um, know that this is based off his real life. So his dad was a firefighter who died in 9-11. Interesting that I watched it yesterday, which was like the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. But yeah, overall, I really enjoyed this watch. Um, It's a great look at American masculinity that's quite endearing. It's also quite cheesy. So it's got its heartfelt moments too. It's very long. It's like two hours 15 or something like that. I do think it could have been cut down by half an hour or something, but I really enjoyed Pete Davidson's performance and I am also now a stan of him. Uh, It also features Belle Powell, who is going to be in the upcoming Dolly Alderton's TV adaptation, Everything I Know About Love. So very cool. So cool. Sounds like a good cast. That has also been on my list. I promise I'm not just saying that. I remember when the trailer came out and I was like, oh, I really want to watch that. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. And for anyone else who wants to watch it, it is on Binge. I definitely will be watching. Well, another week, another episode down. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you enjoyed, please don't forget to rate or review or follow us on Instagram at Culture Club Pod. Stay connected. Stay chronically online like us. And <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.